0: This episode of Meet the Creatives is brought to you by KEH Camera. They've been in business for 40 years, and they are the world's largest buyer and seller of used camera gear. They have everything a photographer needs to start their kit, bodies, lenses, filters, batteries, bags, memory cards, tripods, new accessories, you name it, they got it. Uh, Their website is easy to use. They have a great phone customer service team. All of the people on the phone team have been there for more than 10 years. They know exactly what they're talking about. And they can answer all your questions they stand behind all their sales 14 day return policy 180 day standard warranty with the largest and broadest inventory of used gear in the world with over 55,000 items and the largest collection of film gear in the world these guys are crushing it and i'm happy to be partnering with them they're opening up a new retail store in atlanta georgia in the very near future where you can go and uh see all the gear in person and talk to real people so They clean, inspect and repair everything themselves in-house with certified technicians and they make sure they get it right every time KEH has got your back and it's a great way to start your creative journey. So go to KEH.com and it's going to be a great season with KEH as a partner. Let's start the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. Today I am joined by Cesar Lopez, who is the associate manager of X Games Content and Strategy. We're here today at ESPN headquarters. Thanks so much for being on the show.
1: Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
0: Tell me about how you got here. Uh, I, you were at ESPN before. You worked at NBC for a while. Now you're back at ESPN uh, leading you know social strategy and content strategy. So uh, how did you get here? And uh, we'll go from there.
1: My career path is... it's unorthodox um, I have a marine biology degree from Stockton University nice. um, from Stockton I moved to Miami and um, I was basically an intern level marine mammal trainer um, at Miami aquarium and basically my buddy um, Adam reached out to me and was like hey um, do you want to be a runner for the NFL draft and uh, I was living in Miami, just fresh out of college, needed as much money as possible. Miami is expensive. So I was like, yeah, let me take a, w- <laughs> a vacation, a week's vacation, and um, let me see what I can do. So I took a week vacation for Miami's Aquarium, worked the NFL draft, and I loved it. Getting coffees and taking out garbages and... Um, just to be in that TV setting, it was something I was always interested in, but in my head in college, I just thought it was so hard to get into that industry um, that I just went with the marine bio rat, because I also love marine biology.
0: What specifically about marine biology was it like? To, like
1: if- I mean, I was I always loved sharks. Yeah, was obsessed with sharks growing up, like birthdays, shark books, like aquariums growing up and it was just um something about sharks that I just loved marine biologists always intrigued me scuba diving um just I was first certified you scuba diving like Jacques Stowe or, right? yeah Jacques Cousteau um I was first certified in scuba diving at 13 like that's how like obsessed I was with it that's So crazy. um Just remember my parents driving me to Tom's River New Jersey I, yeah. I grew up in Jackson New Jersey yeah. um To, I think it was called Discover Scuba, just 13 years old, just doing the scuba course and the pool and the the writing course and then just obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah, to go back to the NFL draft, um, I did that, I think it was 2008 was the first NFL draft I worked and from there on, I just like, I'm kind of hooked. Um, so I did the NFL draft again the, the following year. And, and you were still a PA at that time? I was not even a PA. I was just a runner, just wow. taking out garbages and, right. and getting coffees for people, getting food orders and setting up craft services, they call it, which is basically you lay out a table of just snacks and food and bananas and oranges and just like for all the talent, for all the workers that are actually you yeah. know um, doing their jobs. Um, that's where... The interest to get into the TV industry sparked for me. I grew up skateboarding, snowboarding, um, so action sports was always my big interest. Mm -hmm. So I just remember just networking and just reaching out to the X Games people um, and seeing if they had any runner opportunities for X Games and so on. I just networked with the same people that um, produced NFL Draft, and they put me in touch with people from X Games. And then it was Summer X Games, 2009,
0: and basically the rest is history. You worked on several different things, including the Dew Tour, the Olympics. Uh, you were freelancing and, and all, all that kind of journey. So kind of walk me through that. What was it like at your time working on the Olympics and the Dew Tour uh, and then kind of coming back to work at ESPN full-time?
1: After my, my freelance gigs uh, ended in uh, 2010, um, I remember applying for ESPN, um, and I got actually got the job as a staff member at ESPN during uh, an X Games Aspen event while I was freelancing. So That's then, cool. in f- I think it was February twenty second of twenty ten, um, I started my first day as e- uh, at ESPN as a staff member, um, and then in twenty fourteen. From 2010 to 2014, I worked on different sports like NFL draft. Um, I worked Little League World Series and mainly X Games, and then um, I always alvo- I always wanted to be in action sports, um, and I wanted to change out of the production side and get into more social media. So then I accepted a job at Do Tour. Which is basically NBC Sports' version of the X Games. Right. Um, and I worked at Tour for about a year. And then that was in 2015. And then Tour got bought out by Transworld, which is part of the 10 network. Um, and they moved their offices to California. I didn't want to do that, but it worked out perfect because the Olympics were right around the corner. And I ended my due, my due tour duties on a Friday, and then that Monday, I started working for the 2016 Rio Olympics. I was uh, a sports, uh, sports producer for NBCOlympics.com. Um, I wrote about everything that had to do with sailing, canoe kayak, and rowing, which basically entailed doing research, writing bios for all the sailors, and canoe kayak, And rowing athletes, listing out all their bios on the NBCOlympics.com, and just writing articles on everything for all those sports, leading up to the Olympics, during the Olympics, and some post-Olympics. How did you like writing
0: compared to? Was was that fun for you, or or was that a challenge? Because you were kind of been in more production kind of. Right. I was.
1: So it was a. It was actually a nerve-wracking transition um, having to write like AP style and I first dabbled in writing during Dutour. Um, I actually reached out to I guess the person who I worked with um, and I was like I want to write a couple articles for dotour. Um, would that be possible and he said yeah I'm you know, let's see let's see what you got so with his help you know he helped me you know. Uh, copy edited it and uh, pumped out a couple articles, and that was kind of basically my my proof to the NBCOlympics.com Olympics dot com team that like I can write. Right. Um, it was the the hardest thing was being able to like you know pump out articles at a fast pace. Right. Because um, it's all kind
0: of time leads. Right. Yeah. So it's
1: I mean writing AP style, correct grammar, punctuations. That was also something that in college I never, you know, honed in on. Um, I was always, you know, a, a decent writer, but um, getting the pointers from DUTOR really just helped my eye. Um, nbcolympics.com uh, writing.
0: So how did you go then from uh, you were kind of doing this writing and you kind of had this new skill set and then you came back to ESPN. When you came back to ESPN, what was that process like?
1: MSC Olympics was a almost like a project position mm-hmm. where yeah, um, sort of it was a contract um, where you get hired on for about a year um, and work at the Olympics solely. And it's you know long hours, a lot of work. Um, but it was just great work. And after Olympics is over, um, I basically needed another job. And um, my fiance Monica, towards the end of my Olympics, uh, you know, stint. Tender. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it was August. I think uh, beginning of August of 2016, um, I knew I wanted to start looking for other jobs in the action sports industry so I was looking everywhere um, but I was so swamped with work at Olympics that um, I didn't really I couldn't really put the effort in to like job seek while I'm working Olympics and but like uh, thank goodness for for my fiance Monica she found um, the exkin position the day it posted Wow and i had met um, my current boss now jason crutch um, freelancing in 2015 x games or 2014 Um, and i I had a sit down with him um, talking social media and everything and sure enough i went in for the interview um shortly i think shortly after i ended uh the Rio olympics uh and I think I got the job in October of 2016.
0: I know a lot of people want to work here, especially if you're a sports fan. ESPN is the mecca. Um, and I was reading in the waiting center here all the statistics about how big this company is, the impact. The I think it's 2,000 public-facing analysts, reporters, and I couldn't believe the stats downstairs. So, for people that are looking to get a job here and maybe they haven't worked in the ESPN ecosystem before, uh, could you maybe speak to some of the things that you're looking for? And then we can, after that, kind of hop into some more technical stuff.
1: My like, my early college years, um, I, I know that it was, I just knew it was so hard to break into the industry, especially ESPN. Um, ESPN hires just, just top talent um, throughout. And to break into that, it's almost like, it's so competitive to even get hired at ESPN that, I mean, do you even wanna go that route? And that's kind of how I went the marine biology route because I had an interest in that too and um, almost like just sold myself short in, in how like, um, my, my interests were. I, I kind of leaned towards marine biology more um, because I just thought it was gonna be too hard to break into the TV industry. Now with that said, speaking for myself, it was it was kind of just luck. My buddy who I mentioned before, Adam, um his mom worked with uh Chris Berman's assistant and Chris Berman's a legend at ESPN. Yep. Absolutely. And um, I grew
0: up watching him. He was on my video games, he was on ESPN. Yeah.
1: So that's uh with my buddy's mom, um that's how my, my buddy Adam uh Got the running the running uh, job at NFL Draft, mm-hmm. and when he reached out to see if I if I wanted to to work, I was like, of course, like this could be a stepping <laughs> stone, not yeah. thinking it it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I I lucked out. But then there's always ways to reach out, just get your foot in the door, mm-hmm. become a runner. I started in operations.
0: So just getting in on the ground, getting in kind
1: of... You could always reach reach out, get names of operations producers just to be a runner. Mm -hmm. Um, How I started, getting coffee, garbages, setting up tables and and all that. Um, And then just networking. And for me, it was always just about having just a positive attitude. Even if it's taking out garbages or taking, you know driving someone somewhere or getting caught for somebody just having a smile on your face um, I think for me just being positive around the workplace just went went far and going out of your way to make sure everybody's comfortable um, I think went a long way and it ultimately got me more runner gigs and I think when a a regular PA position opened up. Um, those people that hired me, like were on my team to get these, to get the staff job, and that's basically how I broke into the industry.
0: So there's two awesome things you touched on there that I want to kind of speak to. Um, number one is kind of about that that limiting kind of thing you think to yourself like oh like marine biology might be a safer bet but really in your heart of hearts you have that thing and it's not to say that like you didn't want to do that but you had a north star and then we're like well like kind of selling yourself short if you will and not that there's anything wrong with being a marine bio like, yeah, yeah. not that there's anything wrong with being a marine biologist i actually too am like randomly obsessed with it i think cuz my family grew up uh, right next to like woods hole uh, which is oh, yeah. like which is like huge for that kind of stuff so i love like otters and like i went to seattle and Everyone else was at the bar, and I was at, like, the Seattle Aquarium, so love all that stuff, but talking about having that North Star and selling yourself short, which is huge, and I listened to this, um, actually, Steve Harvey from Family Feud and everything else uh, had this great bit about this analogy, talking about how gnats, if they were inside a jar, they would only go to like the top of the jar, like as far as they could go. And then if they unscrewed the top of the jar, they would still only only go as high as they can go. And he was saying that like you need to in life, you need to like take the lid off of your jar because it's like you make we make our own ceilings and we say like this is how high we can mm-hmm. go. Yeah, and but he said it like real cool too like to Steve. You got to yeah, take the yeah. lid off your jar. <laughs> and I was like going around telling everyone that. Um for people that have not yet taken the lid off of their jar. You seem like you're out, out of the jar in this analogy. Um how did you kind of step into your own when you were kind of taking on sort of like a leadership position? When did it click? And and how much of it was self-constructed and how much of it is just kind of like paying your dues?
1: I knew I want I wanted Almost out of the television production realm which I never really thought I would I would I, I always was super intrigued with television production and then um, I, I started getting burnt out uh, from TV production mm-hmm. um, and I was always intrigued in the social media aspect social media at that time was 2010 was was blowing up and mm-hmm. um, and I tried to look for those types of, of, of jobs, and i start i just knew with my four years at espn and, and my resume that like i had i finally had like a good credentials to almost be picky of where i where I worked right. and I grew up skateboarding I grew up snowboarding i I know action sports um, I worked X Games, and I I, I knew a lot about the, about the athletes. So I knew that my next move, no matter what, was going to be in action sports. And I wasn't going to sell myself short. And um, when this due tour position um, came about, um, I knew that it was, like, perfect. It was, like, you know, what I wanted to do. Unfortunately, you know, Trans World bought them out. They moved, but... I continued with sports that I, I, I mean, I've always loved Olympics, like, like who doesn't love Olympics? Right. Um, and the Rio Olympics was just an easy transition because it was in the same office. Um, it was, you know, ex- excelling my, you know, my writing craft and, and being able to be a good uh, copywriter in social media is, it goes a long way. Mm-hmm. And so.
0: I think people really underestimate the the value of great copy. Right, yeah.
1: so in when I was in production, um, I was still a production, I was, I think my last title was Content Associate, and you're still trying to prove yourself, but the moment I went to social media and took control of analytics and took control of like how to post and when to post, And all the intricacies behind it, um, my confidence built up. Uh, My writing improved. And then working at Rio Olympics, NBCOlympics.com, writing every day, just my copywriting skills just excelled through the roof. And I was finally just super confident to take on whatever else position came my way. And X Games Social came about. And I just knew that, like, like this is what like, I loved, and like, I'm probably never leaving. Right. Um, when I first started, um, it was, I was the second man on the, on the social team. Uh, it was me and someone else. The other person um, had control of most of the platforms. I did a lot more of the YouTube and, and analytics side, um, and I helped out where I could. Um, and, and then once that person left, um, I had basically control and, and say in all the content strategy for all of our X Game social platforms, which I guess, I mean, looking at it now is, is, is a big deal. Right. Um, having th- and having that control and, and knowing that, you know, whatever we put out on our X Game social platforms Um, is ultimately our X Games content strategy, our team, um, what our team sees and what our team agrees on. Because right now our team is is myself, who I I grew up on action sports, Um, Brian Tunney, who is a former X Games uh, athlete and just knows... Everyone in the X Games industry, uh, in the in the especially in the M- BMX industry, but he's super knowledgeable on on skateboarding and BMX. Um, then we have uh, Melissa Larson, who's super endemic in the snowboard industry. She lives in Jackson Hole, um, knows a lot of the athletes. So, um, and then we have Jason Crutch, who is my boss, who oversees all of us, who's been at X Games for over 10 years. Um, He's a director of content strategy. And then Tim Reed, our VP, who um, has been at X Games since day one um, and just as intelligent as they get um, when it comes to um, content and uh, actually everything, marketing and and all initiatives. Um, And uh, our core team is so passionate that it shows in our content and it Absolutely. shows in our, in our platforms.
0: You were talking about social media. Uh, I think that's one thing that you and I definitely have in common. I think that like the way you guys put out content is exciting. It's explosive. I hope that on my, on my best day that I kind of have like that same thing. What are your favorite platforms to work on? Where is the underpriced attention? And what are kind of the, the parts of social media, be it Facebook, Instagram, that you guys find the most exciting? And then how do you then push those boundaries when something new, like I would imagine like when Facebook Live came along, that was probably like huge.
1: Working on social platforms is, is ever changing. Um, each platform, you just never know when the algorithm is going to change or when even the platform itself is going to Change and almost make users change their strategy mm-hmm. um, I'll start with Instagram um, when I first you know joined Instagram it was you know square pictures only then Instagram introduced video and then it moved to landscape and then four by five like vertical photos mm-hmm. um, and, IGTV and, all and that. now it's it's Instagram stories. Um, And it's Instagram TV, IGTV, and it's still changing. Um, My my favorite platform is is Instagram. Um, So, you know, we like to concentrate on a little bit of everything, give our consumers um, different content on different platforms. We want them to come to our platforms and have a different experience in each one, not just... Absolutely. Put out the same piece of content on all different platforms.
0: Why is that important? I mean, I, I know why, but I feel like a lot of people think yeah, that like they just want to share it on all platforms, and that's—I personally believe that's a bad strategy. But why do you think that that's a bad strategy?
1: It's to put it in, to put it in the most easy way is we want to give um, you know our followers a reason to follow each separate platform, vertical video. I almost don't publish anything on Instagram that is not vertical. Right. My thought process and our strategy is when you're flipping through Instagram, everybody, like, cruises through Instagram, like, post after post. Like, nobody spends that much time on Instagram. Um, everybody's in a rush. Everybody's, you know, right. have, has things to do. And they stop at the most, you know, pertinent posts that they see or, or friends that they like or and if, if, if someone does follow X Games and we post a piece of vertical video or a vertical photo, if that piece of content stays on their screen for that millisecond more than right. a piece of horizontal video, right. like um, that's almost yeah. enough time for them to be like, oh wait, like, what was that post about? Yeah, And in, in our mindset, it increases engagement. Mm-hmm. If I if X Games were to post horizontal video um constantly, to me it's it decreases the user experience and it also it's it's a lot easier to blow by that post right. while you're scrolling, um because it's less screen retail and it's it's easier to scroll by. Yeah, for sure. Um that's basically instagram we yeah. we vertical video vertical photos uh, we like to do more mm-hmm. we like to stick with video like action based video because it's basically what we think our consumers like want to see yeah um instagram t v is is a very new one um, and to be honest we weren't really sure what, what to make of it when it first came out. But the moment uh, Instagram like, slash Facebook added the keep watching feature and uh, made it accessible on your Instagram feed, mm-hmm. that's almost like, and that's fairly recent, that's almost like where, what differentiated the success of IGTV. Yeah. The moment it was able to be placed on the feed, and hit that button that says keep watching after a minute um that that was a game changer so now we're actually actively um seeking out our strategy for igtv platform we just recently launched an x game session um series um we just put out the very first one last week and um purposefully Made a video for i g t v and the first one was successful right. i think um it's probably nearing two hundred thousand views now which wow. is which is good for us
0: yeah
1: and then you have our i g lives you have your instagram stories which we like to um you know always program um Brian tunney uh is helping like our team with instagram stories he's awesome he He's got a way with humor and a way with um, presenting things on stories that I I honestly just didn't have. And um, before I had the help of Brian Tunney and and Melissa, um, I was just bogged down. Um, But since Brian Tunney, you know, started helping with Instagram stories and um, basically taking the lead, like I think our engagement on Instagram stories like, like went through the roof. Um, to talk about Twitter, uh, for us, we find that the content that works best on Twitter is the less-than-six-second looping action tricks mm-hmm. um, over, um, like, long-form video and even anything that's, like, a, a minute or so. Right. If it's under six seconds, it loops automatically on Twitter, almost like the divine since. Twitter bought out Vine. Right. Um, they it took they, yeah, Vine, they, they, they they took that six second or less rule and implemented into Twitter. Oh, so
0: I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, so anything less you drop, uh, dropping bombs on people. I, I, I think that. I <laughs> think less
1: than six point two seconds okay. automatically loops on Twitter. Anything like seven seconds or more, um, it it doesn't That's loop. That's
0: good to know.
1: Um so as long as it loops and this is our strategy for like our real series and anything that um any action based content we try to keep it under six seconds because people kind of get mesmerized in like looping action tricks and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um and it'll ultimately make that post engage. But for us for Facebook, um
0: I'm trying to get a job at
1: Facebook to talk about <laughs> Uh Facebook is is also ever-changing. I just recently noticed like a couple weeks ago that I published content and it gives me almost like a checklist. Like, did you you publish a thumbnail? Check. Is your video more than three minutes? Um, And that's something that's new to Facebook where they almost want to push, um, they want to push you to publish three-minute or longer video. So that just changed our strategy for Facebook. So it's almost like long-form content on Facebook, um, sh- like six seconds or less on Twitter, and I feel like almost Facebook is leaning towards, like, the YouTubes, where they want, y- they want the, the user to put out long-form content just like YouTube. Right. Um, YouTube, I ju- actually just had a meeting with YouTube before I met with you, um, our ESPN YouTube and I love YouTube.
0: I love YouTube TV. I love YouTube premium. I think that so, YouTube is one of the best products in the market. I love it. And they are uh, getting better.
1: Y- YouTube is probably our number two in priority level. Yeah. Um, YouTube, um, after Instagram, long form content works. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah. I, wa- I watch X games, YouTube on my TV.
1: Yeah. So perfect example. Um, The best thing about X Games is that it's owned by ESPN. ESPN created X Games in 95, and every single piece of content that comes out of X Games, we have the liberty to do whatever we want
0: with it. Right, Um, which a lot of sports don't have. A lot of people don't know, like baseball does not have
1: Correct. So for our ESPN YouTube, they have limitations to what they can publish on their YouTube because they have MLB rights, NBA rights, NFL rights, um, right, and it's it's. So in it's a way, hum- you kind of
0: have the best gig here because you have the, the native, you know, right, our, native to ESPN. Exactly.
1: Right. So we have the liberty to do pretty much almost whatever we want with our with our content. That's cool. We can put out as soon as if we. X Games Aspen 2019 just ended. Um, as soon as. Uh, like men's snowboard big air ends, um, you know, we have you know after a little waiting period, we have the ability to put that full broadcast on our YouTube, right um, which is something that you people want to revisit and watch. If they couldn't watch X Games uh, like live on television, mm-hmm. um, you have the opportunity to watch our full broadcast on our YouTube. With no licensing restrictions or anything like that. Yeah, for sure. Um,
0: and if you have YouTube t- YouTube Premium, you don't even have to watch commercials; you just watch it straight through, it right? Like one after the
1: other. Well, one of our strategies is is after a a broadcast ends live on TV, um, everything gets processed through Bristol through our ESPN headquarters, and we actually like cut out the commercials um, ourselves. So anybody, even if you have YouTube, even if you don't have YouTube TV you'll be seeing our content commercial-free.
0: You know, as I mentioned before, I gra- I kind of came up, I, I am the Tony Hawk's pro skater generation. Like you said, that like Chad Musk is going to be here tomorrow. I lost my mind on that. I've always like loved the X Games, but I've been kind of like a cat, kind of casually in and out of it over the years. Um, but I always love it. And I always love hearing about people's stories. And I think you guys do a fantastic job of creating these narratives and really making people um, you know, giving their background or showing like old footage, like it's been super fun to watch. Like Jagger Eden kind of come up from like being like a little kid, and now he's getting a little bigger, and he's kind of like a household name. But how do you guys go about creating stories that can make the average viewer who may not watch X Games all the time? How do you make them care?
1: That's a great question, and it's actually a super, a super <laughs> active topic. In discussions with X Games, and I wish I could take credit for this, but ultimately, it's it's Tim Reed, our our VP, sees the value in in telling those stories of particular athletes. Um, for example, when you think X Games, a lot of people think Tony Hawk, Travis Pastrana. And uh, Bernquist. Bob Burnquist, and Keep <laughs> to the uncom you know, to the to the moms out there or the dads that don't follow Ashen sports, they hear the names like Sean White and and Tony Hawk and and like as the household Ashen sports names, and we are actively trying to um, build these athlete profiles of the up and comers. Mm-hmm. You you mentioned Jagger Eaton um like to tim's credit like it's all right how can we get these athletes and these athletes names out there as a normal household name and Mm. that's basically by um telling more of their narrative consistently um not just keeping keep telling their story like the whole entire year round. Mm-hmm. Not just if it's a summer athlete, not just stopping at, th- at summer, but also telling some of their stories like in, in, on, on the winter side or like right. whether it's archive footage or, or throwback posts or anything like that and keep trickling out the bigger names um, to make them household names. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we're actually actively looking at now and actively, you know, strategizing about on how to build the names even further that aren't necessarily like household names right now. Yeah. Like, how can we get, you know, the name, like, for instance, Nigel Houston, more of a household name. Get The, the Leticia <laughs> Buffoni's, like, right. uh, more of a household name. And even the, the, the lesser-known athletes that, like, some people might not know who Jagger Eaton is. Mm-hmm. Um, how to build those names, and what we're doing now is um, we have a series called "Being," which is telling more of an in-depth story of these athletes, but not just stopping at, you know, not just making it seasonal. Not so these "Being" series are are trickling out, um, and they're pertaining to summer athletes or around their summer event. Keeping it top of mind. But how can we, you know, in the summertime, how can we get the Mark Morris name out there also? And it's something that we're, you know, we're currently working on and um, we're actively seeking to strategize on how to get more of our action sport athletes' names out there as, you know, as your Michael Jordans or or whatnot. Uh, Make them more like Tony Hawk.
0: So thank you so much for doing this, man. It's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege. I can tell you know a a lot about social media. We could probably talk about this for days. Uh, Where can people find you online? Uh, What's the best place to get in touch for people that want to apply uh, to come work here? Um, Maybe some names or places or links. Anything you've got. This is shameless self-promotion time. Anything you want to put out there? The floor is yours. Hit me up on LinkedIn, uh,
1: Cesar Lopez. My Instagram basically... All of my social platforms are at Cilo C L O S A Y S. Shoot me a note on, on LinkedIn and you know.
0: you're very. You get back like right away. I love that. You you are you I, have zero ego. I, I have not experienced one iota of ego from you at all. I, I, a, a, a hum- I try. A humble dude.
1: I try. Um, you're humble. Not dude, always that way, but <laughs> um, yeah. Hit me up on LinkedIn, on uh, Instagram. Cilo says. Cool. That's a dope uh, Instagram too. I forgot how it came about.
0: But, uh, <laughs> Cesar Lopez, Celo—it just kind of works. Yeah, cool.
1: awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, me it by You know what
0: Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Make sure you're following along. Meet the Creatives NY on Instagram. And uh, thank you so much again to our great, awesome, epic sponsor, KEH Camera. Thanks for making it happen. Go check out KEH.com. And I'll see you guys next time on Meet the Creatives.